there, I'm Becca Campbell, your pediatric sleep consultant, and this is the Little Z's Sleep Podcast, and we're doing something different this week, y'all. We're not really talking about resolving your child's sleep. We're talking about sleep, like the science behind sleep. And don't get scared away. This is not going to be over your head. In fact, I would say this is a great sleep 101 um, talk with a mom who knows a lot about the science of sleep. So Christine is a mom in Oregon who has taken our sleepy coaching program. She's in the sleep society and she responded one day on Instagram. She responded to a story that I was talking about and I was on my soapbox um, that maybe you've experienced this um, when you've followed me on Instagram. And if you're not, come over there because sometimes I like to have what I call Becca moments. Um, but I was having this moment where I was just in a in a rage, um, in my, I guess my calmest way, um, in a rage about just the, the idea that we should just accept the fact that we should be tired parents. I get so angry at this. And do you want to know why? It's not because, of course, I make my business by helping you make sleep a thing. That's not why. If we don't have sleep, we literally will die. I mean, that's not even putting it lightly. Christine will dig more into this, but we have to sleep well in order to live our best life. Simply put, you literally can have nothing else going on in your life unless you're sleeping. And so Christine and I started chatting back and forth and I was like, oh my gosh, you've got to come on the podcast. We've got to talk about sleep medicine, the science behind sleep. We've got to talk about this. So in our time together, we just honestly jumped right in. This is actually not even like a casual conversation, like coffee style. We're just talking about sleep. And if you've ever wanted to know more, this is an excellent place to start. And if you look in the show notes, I have actually some books that I would recommend if you want to learn more about the science of sleep. So this is my conversation with Christine. conversation would be so much better than me being a talking head just talking about stuff but actually talking mm -hmm. to someone who deals with this all the time so are you yeah you said you're you're at home right now how tell me a bit about your kind of background with this so it all started with like i i was a cna forever and i worked with like alzheimer's and dementia and i always worked night shift i'm just a night person i don't know i was wired that way um but their sleep is so interesting because they don't they have kind of free running like sleep patterns just with the dementia, different diseases kind of do different things to your brain. And um, yeah, so I was like, well, I'm good at watching people sleep. And so, yeah, I just went into um, polysomnography. So that's my title. I'm a registered polysomnographic technician. What I mainly do, I do a whole lot of stuff revolving around sleep apnea because that really messes with, I mean, people just don't sleep if they have sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But we also see a lot of kids too. Yeah. I love that you said you were really good at watching people sleep. So you figured this is a good, I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what I would love to do during our conversation today is just treat it like a coffee style chat, like just talk about what you do and your your background and kind of talk about the, the science behind sleep. And um, I, I would love to touch on sleep apnea because I just okay. had somebody reach out. Um, I've, I've had a couple of little ones. Um, one question I always ask in my older kiddo questionnaire is, you know, does your child snore? Do they mouth breathe? Things like that. And if they say yes, I'm like, I can't even start yet. <laughs> you need to go talk yeah. to somebody. No. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like you where you're like, well, you know, I can't really touch on like what you need to do as far as like, you need to see a lactation consultant because I'm not a lactation consultant. Like I have similar lines to where I can't be like, yes, you definitely have sleep apnea because that's, I'm not a doctor, but what I right. do is I 
can see on screen and then I put it together and I say, here, doctor, look at this. And then they have to be the ones to say, yeah, you have sleep apnea. But like, I just have to be like, go get tested. <laughs> mm -hmm, definitely. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about what sleep apnea is um, and how we can define that. Because I think um, it, this mom, this, this poor mom, the pediatrician said, oh, it's normal that your son snores. And I was like, no. And thank no. you. She, she had an instinct is why she reached out to me. Um, and she was like, is that normal? And I was like, no, she was like, okay, good. We're going to get a second opinion on Friday. I was like, good. And it broke my heart that the doctor said that that was normal because it's not. So would you like, walk us through what sleep apnea is and why snoring is not normal? So in our society, we think that snoring is normal because it's so commonplace, but what you're hearing is the sound of a narrow airway. And snoring can occur in multiple places. I mean, your airway is one tube, your nose feeds, um, and your mouth all feed down. Um, so snoring can um, be part of congestion, but like it shouldn't be all the time. What happens is um, people fall asleep and they are in light sleep and their muscles relax. And the muscles relax so much that they kind of close in on each other. So the soft palate sort of like falls back and they, they breathe and they, as they drift off into further sleep, um, everything sort of falls back and they can't move air, or at least they can't move enough air. And so their body has to constantly wake themselves up because they're not able to move air. So you have different stages and you can't get into those deeper stages of sleep if your body's constantly being woken up because your airway's closing. And snoring is the sound of that airway closing. Yes. Okay. So I remember my very first book that I read on sleep was, it was the best one to probably start with was Dr. Dement's um, The Promise of Sleep. I love it. And I like, right. If anybody reaches out and is like, oh, I'm interested in learning more about sleep. I'm like, read that book because <laughs> it's so good. And uh, I remember um, the way that he described it, just like you were saying, is that the snoring is like, um, and then how they, uh, they like wake up is like your body alarm going off being like you can't breathe you can't get air and that was so startling i remember telling my mom that because she snores very badly um she got a cpap this last year but i remember telling her that and i was like that concerns me mom <laughs> you need to you need to get that checked out because we do we think snoring is normal um and down with children like it's totally not normal um and that's yeah i i did not know that especially because those deeper stages of sleep children can't grow if they get into what's called N3 sleep, which is the deep sleep. It's, it's when your pituitary gland is active to release your, the hormone that the growth hormone essentially. And so it's just very disruptive. And even if they're not having total apnea, so there's like, there's hypopneas, which are not complete apneas. The airway is not completely closed. It's um, slightly open, but not enough oxygen can get through, not as much as, it, as needed, and so it causes arousals. But even if it wasn't causing a dip in like an ox the oxygen saturation of patients, it's still disruptive because their body is waking up to those snores, and it, it causes what's called microarousals. And over time, microarousals really affect sleep because it's very disruptive to each stage. Definitely. So let's get back to the basics of sleep cycles and give, yeah. us, um, uh, give us a rundown of, of sleep cycles for, for a human. What are the stages of sleep and what are these cycles? So it's pretty age dependent. When, when babies are young, it's just so hard, which is why I haven't really done a sleep study under the age of, of one is just because mostly you're looking at there's active sleep and inactive sleep. Um, it's similar to an adult. Adult has two um, main states of sleep, non-REM and REM. And then the, 
the non-REM is further broken down um, into three categories. So there's N1, N2, N3, and then the REM, which is the REM, which is a dream state sleep. So um, typically what happens is an adult would fall asleep and they go into N1, and in that stage, like you can be easily aroused. Um, you might have that sense if you've ever been laying in bed and you feel your knee jerk, or you feel like you're falling and you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, oh, I was falling. And then you look around and you're safe in your bed and you're fine. But that's called a hypnagogic hallucination. Um, and it's just part of that falling asleep. It's a transitional phase. So N2 is actually what we spend most of our time in during our whole sleep period. And it, that's a really significant phase just because that's just kind of like a rest and digest phase. And then N3 is super restorative. So our body's doing repairs, children are growing. With that being said, once adults get older, uh, past 40, let's say, sometimes men, it's kind of, uh, men can just, they totally don't have it anymore because your body doesn't need to grow. It's not growing. Um, women tend to hold on to their slow, they also call N3 slow wave sleep. Because your brain waves literally look like huge up and down slopes. Um, and in children, they're off the charts. It's really beautiful. We call it beautiful sleep. We, we, in the lab, we always say children have beautiful brain waves because they're so pronounced and so large. And the older you get, the more attenuated and smaller they get. But um, yeah, so that's um, N30, very restorative. And then REM is usually what we have later in the night. So in the beginning of our, of our night, um, we probably, we have about four to six um, cycles. So going in and out of stage one, two, three REM, we do that about um, four to six times per night. And then that lasts um, each, each time we do that, it's about 90 to 110 minutes. So what our brain is doing when we're in REM sleep um, is it's, it's, it's kind of like the um, file, it's putting things away in the file cabinet. So that's like our memory processing, like reprocessing sort of stage and that's where we're dreaming and so um why why it's called REM is because if someone's dreaming you can literally see their eyes go back and forth very very fast and yeah, rapid eye movement yeah that, that was yeah, so crazy yeah. Mm -hmm. um and what's interesting is we have to in the lab we have to have electrodes right by the eyes so that we could see if the eyes are moving because the brain actually looks like it's awake when you're dreaming almost very similar yeah so like and also when you're in REM um and this is why oh this is why I never ever co-slept is because I know you're paralyzed your body paralyzes itself it's a protective measure because you're dreaming your body paralyzes its it, voluntary functions um not involuntary your heart a little more erratic than non-REM but you're fine <laughs> um, you can act out your dreams and you can punch your bed partner in the face if we didn't our bodies are very protected that way. So uh, we're paralyzed um, in, in REM sleep, which is why post-living this <laughs> Yes, which um, this, I, I, first of all, I think it's so interesting how our bodies deal with sleep. I think it's amazing how, yes, we do, the brain looks like it's awake while we're dreaming um, because they are, it's such, so active. So what you're saying, I want to ask a couple of things. So what you're saying is that dreams happen more towards like the early morning-ish time? Is that why when you wake up, sometimes you remember them a little bit clearer? Yeah, so if you woke up and you remember your dream, there's a very high chance you woke up right out of REM. And our body does that naturally, and it, it, it does that for, um, so in non-REM, your temperature and your heart, they're more regulated. In REM, your temperature and your heart are more irregular. So 
When you first fall asleep in the night, general, generally body temperature is cooler. You also generally have the most N3 sleep in the first third of the night. And then in the last third of the night, your heart rate sort of becomes more erratic. It gets that temperature up. It gets you ready to wake up for the morning. So that's why like, if you have your alarm clock set for super early and you woke up like hours before you normally should, you could have woken yourself up out of N3 sleep, which is that deep sleep, which is so hard to wake up from. You're just like groggy and so tired. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, that's why it's like you feel so much better if you don't wake up to an alarm clock or like you go to bed early enough. It's because you're waking up out of the sleep cycle that you're supposed to. Our bodies are really, really good and very well tuned. Um, because of circadian rhythm and all that different stuff to wake up out of REM and to wake themselves up naturally for the day. Yeah. It is so amazing to me. I think it is so fascinating. And so you said to uh, another thing I wanted to call out, which I, I loved watching my girls when they were newborns, like when they were sleeping and their faces were moving and they were making all those like different, you know, little grimaces and like smiles, like my baby smiled for the first time. And yeah. I teach that in the newborn course, like we say that, but it's because, and I think it's amazing that they, they have not yet gained that paralysis about them. So like your newborn, like literally is going to act out. Yeah. Um, what they're thinking or, or what they're not even thinking, but just their brain developing and things like that. And it's such a good thing that we as adults are paralyzed during our, our dreams and things like that. But it does make that, that is such a big reason why, yes, like co-sleeping is so incredibly dangerous. And I remember my wits and my wits end moment with my oldest, the most terrifying feeling in the world is to wake up and be like, oh my gosh, you're on me. You were on me. I didn't realize you were on me. Yeah. I fell asleep with my daughter twice in her entire life on the couch. And I did, I was just, it was those newborn days, super rough. I woke up and like, my husband was like looking at me like, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm so mortified, but you know, it's hard. And I, I, under, I totally understand why it happens. You're exhausted, but it's just so scary. It is you, so scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually happy you called out that because I love, you will see pictures and it's like, oh, this is so tender. The dad and the baby bonding, they're sleeping together on the couch. Like, no, that is actually so dangerous. And you see, I'm sure you see those photos, photos posted everywhere. It's like, no, don't, no, no. We don't need to be like purposefully napping on the couch. That's like the worst place ever um, with your newborn. Cause yeah, it's just, whew, I could get on a, a rant about that, but um. <laughs> Speaking of um, of broken sleep and and poor sleep habits, I really want to focus on for a few minutes the the um, devastating effects of sleep deprivation. And because you've just walked through how your body naturally needs to cycle in and out of these things, and that may sound great to a, a parent listening, but they're like, "That's nice." You know, Christine's telling me I'm supposed to have these sleep cycles, but I am waking up five to six times a night. I'm not even getting the full benefits of that. So would you walk us through some, some side effects or some uh, negative impacts of sleep deprivation? Yeah, I mean, I have a laundry list for you. <laughs> um, we got memory, mood, uh, less sleep, high rates of depression. Um, if you're not getting that REM sleep, you don't have that little secretary to file away your memories and to clear out the non-important stuff from the things that your brain wants to remember. You can have a sleep deprivation of just a total sleep as well, but also certain sleep stages. Um, and so that can also play a factor. Um, for instance, a really good example is 
we have our lymphatic system. And our lymphatic system clears out the waste that our cells make in our body. Our brain does not have a lymphatic system. Like it doesn't have lymphatic vessels that go through our brain. But we have cells in our brain, right? So it's like, okay, well, how does our brain clean itself? And that's with sleep. Um, there was a study that came out that showed that when you when you fall asleep and you and you dream in REM and also just in other stages, your brain will shrink down, and so blood can get through, and the cerebral fluid can get through, like through the little capillaries in our brain, um, and it clears out the waste. And so, if you're not sleeping, that waste is not getting cleared. Um, and so, if you are sleep deprived, you're gonna feel groggy, you're going to start to forget to remember stuff. And eventually, if you don't sleep at all, you'll die because your brain can't clear that waste. Yes. Um, okay. I think that that is a good thing to like think about when like you literally feel fuzzy. You feel fuzzy brain. You feel groggy. Feel mm -hmm. and, and you're saying that's because your brain is full of waste and you need to sleep to get it out of there. Essentially. I mean, that's, Essentially, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> to cut I mean, to the chase, yeah. To boil it down into super simple terms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking of, but I think that that's good to think about because you know what you've just talked about the the memory loss, the the fogginess, the grogginess, and and more. You know, so many other things that I a tired parent, I don't ever have to tell them that. Did you know broken sleep is the worst? They're like, yes, I know. Um, <laughs> but they can probably already think through things that it's directly tied to that and. And other things to add into that, I'm sure that may not be, you know, a scientific study, but like, hey, you, you feel bad, therefore your relationships around you may not be as good because you're kind of being short. And on edge, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, any other things you want to throw in there for? Yeah, so have you ever stayed up way too long and you're so exhausted and then you get hungry and you're like, I'm so ravenous and you like shouldn't be, but you just like, are eating for like you feel like you're eating for energy or something like our we have in our hypothalamus it's a part of our brain we have there's this um hormone called ghrelin and that increases um as we get the more sleep deprived we get and so um we eat probably like what's whatever's near us we're just like ravenous and we're tired <laughs> and then um along with that like our body's just not as good at regulating itself so we see an increase in um, diabetes in people who do not get regular sleep because our pancreas is not producing like great insulin and it's not very tolerant to the sugars so diabetes is a huge factor in people who are sleep deprived um, and oh, then just you know performance at work and your immune system huge <laughs> yes. I will never forget. I went to, I uh, started working with a family and I, I, it was an in-home situation. So I went to their home and we were doing bedtime routine and any, any time I was in the home with them, bedtime routine, they would do it. There would always be the moment they're feeding the baby and we would just start talking. And so their feet, the mom was nursing the baby and she and I were just chatting and she was like, you know what made me call you Becca? I was like, no, you told me your friend told you, you know, to call me. She was like, well, I had, um, strep throat, and then I got the chicken pox and then I got uh, strep throat again. And then the, but the final straw, like she kept getting strep throat and some type of skin thing. And the final straw was that she got um, shingles and she was like, Becca, I've never, she's like, I don't get sick. She was like, before this, I was never sick. And I realized I was sick because I wasn't sleeping. Yes. It's so true. Like that's sleep is obviously, obviously from everything you're saying, it's the cornerstone of our health for sure. Yeah.
And also people with chronic pain, headaches, headaches are huge. If you do not get into that like good, solid chunk of sleep, you're going to find yourself with headaches and pain's just going to pop up easier. Fibromyalgia and everything like that is more effective when you're tired. I think that that it's so underrated. You know, you're saying all this stuff and people, I don't know, I don't, you don't of course hear that, right? Like, oh, you're not feeling very good. Maybe you should actually get some sleep. It's, it's honestly, um, I'm really proud of where we are right now in sleep medicine because before, like just in the recent, let's say the last 10 years, sleep has become more first line of treatment instead of doctors saying, okay, here's a pill. They're saying, okay, let's have a sleep study and like see. Don't take a sleeping pill. Let's get a sleep study because there could be, there could be, their snoring's waking them up. They actually have apnea and they never knew it. Um, and untreated sleep apnea, that's a whole nother. So your heart, all of your organs are affected. And for children too. Yeah. Um, snoring um, or children who have suspected ADHD. Children are interesting. And you've said this a million times. Um, through your program, but they're opposites of adults. We get so tired and we're just like, we just get lazy and we eat. <laughs> Kids, yes. they are like on a new level. They're hyperactive. And um, so we, you could think, oh my gosh, this child has ADHD. But actually, no, they're just, they're not sleeping because either there's a thing called sleep hygiene, which they're, you know, they could be watching TV all night or they're eating a huge meal in bed or, you know, <laughs> things like yeah. that. It's so, so true. Um, I love that. I, no, 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 you're good. Um, to me, I think that it is so important to understand the fact that sleep training your child, and this may be something different. There's sleep, there's the science of sleep, and then there's probably the sleep training philosophies that of course everybody just has different you know, ideas about, but it really makes me so passionate ever since I read that book by Williamson. And I've always felt passionate about the fact that like, we are not going to be our best selves, you know, like we have to be able to sleep. So we're healthy so we can take care of this child. So that child can grow. And I think somebody out there needs to hear this, but I've, I've moms have told me all the time that they thought that sleep training was selfish. It was like, no, that yeah. is not at all the case. I have a lot of friends who have said, Oh, you're going to sleep train. So you're going to let them cry it out. It's not, that's not, that's not it. And I honestly, I don't even use the word sleep training. I tell them, I tell my friends, I say, no, I'm teaching her how to sleep independently. I'm teaching her the skills that she needs to, to sleep. And then when she's old enough, I'll teach her, I'll teach her how to use the toilet. Like it's just part of training. Yeah. 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 (laughs) No, it's so true though. I think that it is, it's part of, it's part of what we need to do. And the way that I see it, it's like, we are equipping our children. You've just described how adult sleep is and what happens if we don't get sleep. Most of the time, the adults that you talk to who don't sleep well, they were terrible sleepers as kids. Yes, it follows you. (laughs) Yes, it does. It doesn't just magically like snap one day and all of a sudden they're just amazing sleepers, which people wait for that. Like, oh, well, this is just a phase. I'll wait till they finally sleep. Then everything will be fine. It's like, no, if you want to have your child grow healthy and strong and be the, and and feel good and be the best they can be, like, they just need sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. So I yeah. could obviously speak about that all day. Um, um, but yeah, oh, there's one little thing I wanted to add, if I could. Please, uh, please. Because I think it's so interesting um, how everything lines up with your brain and when babies start to be able to kind of self-soothe. Um, so we start seeing between like three to five months, we start seeing characteristics of adult brain waves in the child's brain waves that we couldn't previously see before. 
So there's just little hallmarks. It's kind of the formation of the wave. Um, and they, you, prior to like, and it, it, it's baby dependent, especially depending on when they were conceived and their due date and stuff. But um, right around that like four or five month sort of time period, we start seeing like adult-like sleep behavior in their brain. That is interesting because that's like <laughs> right around that four month time. Right around that time. Go crazy. Like almost, you can like see it. <laughs> that, and that's interesting because it's, we're not making it up in our heads. Like what's happening? What's going on? It's like, well, they're not a newborn anymore. They're yeah. maturing and that's, that's good. We're doing our job. They're growing well. So yeah, no, I think that is super interesting. Um, no, I really am so grateful for you sharing this with me. Again, I think this is going to be a lot better than me sitting down to be like, let's talk about sleep science today. Um, <laughs> So I think that'll be really good. So thank you. And it was so good to meet you. You too. Yeah. Christine, thank you for taking time to educate us today. And if you have enjoyed this look into what sleep is and how it works with your body, again, I want you to scroll down in the show notes and you will see some book recommendations that you can, I would recommend that you can take your studies further. So thank you, Christine. Thank you guys for being here. If this was an episode that you really enjoyed, I would love to know if you want to hear more about this kind of stuff um, and other topics that you want to hear. So head into our review section. This is a great time for you to tell me what you think about this podcast. I would greatly appreciate a quick tap on the five stars, hint, 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 wink, and tell me what you think of this podcast because the more reviews we have, the more obviously this stands out. It's kind of when you go to Amazon and you're trying to find something to buy in a particular section. I'm going to buy the one that has the best reviews and the most reviews. So would you do that for me? In the world of sleep consulting, it really means a lot to me when you guys stand behind me and encourage me and support this podcast. I so appreciate it. Sweet dreams guys. See you next time.